Now, I got to be careful how I say this because it's got to come out right. So listen, let me make the statement and then go to sleep, okay, because I don't want you to get half of it. But that title says, How the World Will Know We Love Christ. It doesn't declare in the Bible that the only way we show our love for Christ is by going to church. Now, the Bible does say, does not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It talks about the power of, of being together. But it's not that just being in the house on God on Sunday is the way that we show our love for Jesus. There's an even, in my opinion, greater way. See, church helps us because it helps us grow in that. But one thing that we do not ever want to be is unfruitful or unbarren or barren. We don't want to be lost. And in fact, First Peter, again, Nick, put the next verse up if you would, says this, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your, what's the next word there, please? Faith. Good, you're with me. Virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness. Next verse, please. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if, now follow this, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nick, put it back, put one back, please. All right. I don't think I can reach it, but do you see what it says up here? It says, add to your faith these things. It didn't say you are to be more knowledgeable, your self-control. It, 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 it's not a pride factor of you to show these things. It's when your faith needs to be displayed. That's what you're to add. Next verse, uh, next slide, please. Because when you do, you're not going to be barren. You're not going to be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, Peter got these words directly on, but he was involved in an amazing situation where he saw all these components come to be. And it's in one of the greatest stories. Now, ushers, if, are you guys still in the back, ushers? If you could grab those papers... Did everybody get a paper saying feeding of 5,000? If you did not, just lift your hand up and let our ushers help you real, real quick. We're going to be using this paper. This is not in view of, in lieu of the Bible. Let's make this abundantly clear. But for the last eight weeks, I've been teaching a class called The Life of Christ. And it took all the Gospels together and put them in a narrative. And so what I did was I took one of those narratives... And brought the, the, the author brought them together. So we're going to use this paper, if you will, as our main um, scripture reference. You're still going to need your Bible because I'm going to go to other scriptures. But it's important that we understand this. Now, what's interesting about the feeding of the 5,000, it's one of the few events that are mentioned in every single gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's one of the few. So there had to be something special behind it. See, the words that we just read should convince us to be 
uh, pay more attention to the benefits that pertain to our past, present, and future. When we think of a miracle, now we know that God continues to do miracles, okay? And, you know, if our, if our idea of a miracle is, is just something that, you know, you could see in a, um, in a magic show, then, then we are limiting God. You know, I, 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 Carolina, it's great that you're here. I, I use you this way in this example. I'm still amazed that the different medicines and chemicals that they put together to go into your body was done exactly at the right moment, at the right time that needs to flush out that cancer to be able to get rid of that that you're here. I still consider medicine a miracle. Honestly, because there's somebody else, unfortunately, in America today that went through what you did, and they're not here. So it's a miracle. Don't limit your miracle to, you know, all of a sudden somebody appears out of thin air. Everything God gives us, the fact that our body can accept lung uh, air and take it in and let it out, that's a miracle. You, you can't just limit miracles to just something that's crazy. Well, it's to that end. I want to just give you this little humorous thing. I thought this was great. And it said, Stuart Briscoe tells of a story of a friend who often used an old fruit tree to escape from his second-story bedroom window, especially when his father was about to punish him. Well, one day, the father announced that he was going to cut down the old tree because it had not shown any fruit in many years. Well, that night, the boy and his friends purchased a bushel of apples and in the cover of darkness tried a tied fruit <laughs> to this tree. Well, the next morning, the father shouted to his wife, Mary, I can't believe my eyes. The old fruit tree that was barren for years is covered with apples. It's a miracle because this is a pear tree. <laughs> they had to tie stuff on. God could make a pear tree an apple tree. <laughs> so today I want to look at the feeding of the 5,000 and this miracle. And, and as I said, I want to show us three different characteristics that move us forward so that we're not barren or unfruitful. So if you have that paper, I'd like you please to look at the first paragraph of the feeding of the 5,000. It said, now when the apostles returned, they gathered around Jesus and told him everything that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come with me privately to an isolated place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and there were no time to eat. So they went away by themselves in a boat to some remote place near a town called Bethsaida on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. But a large crowd was following Jesus because they were observing the miraculous signs he was performing on the sick. Many saw them leaving and recognized him, and they hurried on foot from all the towns and arrived there ahead of him. As Jesus came ashore, he saw the large crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He welcomed them, and went up on the mountainside and sat there with his disciples. Now the Jewish feast of Passover was near. And Jesus taught them many things about the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. Put my first slide up, Nick, if you would, please. Because the first thing we need to know is a characteristic of Christian life is not turning away from a need. That's compassion. 
Now, you look at this story and you're reminded of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's interesting because um, the definition of the word shepherd is someone who feeds or leads his flock, a flock to pasture. And, you know, think about this. The way this story begins is Jesus was just trying to get away from people. Isn't that interesting? Jesus had just completed, Kevin, it's good to see you, but man, if anybody could relate, it's you. You're seeing all these people all the time. You just want some time alone. And you want to get alone. Jesus, I mean, is, is, is it wrong to think that Jesus actually wanted some alone time? I mean, it's, it's okay, you know, for people to say, you know, I, I'd rather just be alone. It's okay. Even our Savior said, I need to get some rest, man. I need to relax. I can't do it all. This human body, I have limitations. <laughs> I got to do it all. But, but it was interesting because as Jesus, the Scripture tells us, saw the crowd, and he saw all that was happening, he wanted to take care of them. He wanted to love them. He wanted to bless them. So the last part of that scripture tells us, Jesus taught them many things about the kingdom of God and cured those who needed healing. God had compassion through Jesus. And it's just what they needed at the right time. Now, notice that Jesus also welcomes them through instruction, teaching them about the kingdom of, of God. Because he began to teach them about the kingdom of, of the world's limited boundaries and the kingdom of God's limitless boundaries. See, this is why we've got to be careful about what we teach. And when we limit the ideas of God, there is no limit with God's power. We have to make that clear to people. And so what I'd like you to do is get to your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. I want you to look at Ephesians 4, verse 31. Yeah, Nick, I'm going to be using you a lot. This is not working, okay, buddy? Okay, man, thank you. Ephesians 4. Verse 31, and we're going to look at verse 31 and 32. I want to make sure you're there. And it says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Bitterness, wrath, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Verse 32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Okay. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. Versus kindness, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The only thing I can think about when I read this. Nick, go one back, Nick. Thank you. When I look at that, it says not turning away from a need is for not all but some. You ready? Not all but some. 
when you see the need and it affects you personally in some way, it could be easier to give. But when it doesn't affect you personally and it actually infringes in part of your life, it's a lot more difficult to give. Jesus had every right. You ready? Jesus had every right when he started to see the crowds. I mean, they were following him. Jesus could have said to the disciples, will you please tell them I just need some time? I need to just take care. I need to sleep for five minutes. Just give me something. And Jesus would still be right. But when Jesus looked at the crowd and he saw that they needed something special, they needed something, he said, bring them over. Now I ask you, in your moments of compassion, in the moments that you've been helpful to people, what terms did you set? Don't tell me now. Don't, I'm not looking forward to what it is, but I want you to see what terms. Is it when you just happen to be free? Was it, well, I can't do this now because of this? I'm not putting any guilt. I'm asking you to examine your life. At what terms, on what terms do you set compassion? Because Jesus blew that whole thing open. Well, he's Jesus, yes, but he was fully human. And that scripture proves to us that Jesus got tired. That scripture proved to us that Jesus wanted a break. That scripture proved to us that Jesus had to get away from people for a little while. And he wasn't wrong. My friends... You put away your malice, you put away your anger, you put away all those things, and you be kind-hearted, and you be caring for one another. There's only one motivating factor of why you need to do that, because God forgave us. That's the only reason to do it. But the other part of the coin is, I don't believe you can do that without Christ in your life. I, I, consistently. I think it's a one-off. I think you can. I remember years ago the, um, the benefit for Katrina. Do you remember that whole horrible episode with that um, Hurricane Katrina? I remember all the networks and, 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 and good. You know, they all came together and put all the money in there and did everything to help out. And uh, I've never been to New Orleans myself, but, but I'm glad there were people to be helped. But I've always told you, to me, there's a difference between pity and compassion. Pity sees the moment and goes for it, but compassion keeps going. If you don't go from pity to compassion, it's a problem. There's a world out there. Carolina, your example. You're, God has healed you. God's touched you, and you're saved. There's someone out there that's in a bed today, and they don't know Jesus. Come on, let that sink in for a moment. It's not popular to say, but someone who is not saved, the Bible tells it. It's very clear. It's not church dogma. It is right in the Bible. If they are apart from Jesus on this earth, they're not going to heaven. They're going to be in hell. The compassion we need to have as Christians is we do our absolute best to bring someone to Jesus Christ, to introduce them to Jesus. If they make that decision, that's up to them. But we need to bring them. We need to have the compassion to say, God, 
I need to introduce. That's why there's such a, 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 a urgency. So if you're turning away from a need more often than not, it means compassion is not flowing in your life. And I'm not talking about compassion to your children. I'm talking about compassion to your neighbor and somebody around. And if it's not flowing, there's a good chance that your Christian life may be barren and unfruitful. And all you'll do is wear the title. So be careful on that. Now, I'd like you to go to your paper to the second paragraph, okay? And it says, now, when it was already late, Jesus' disciples came to him and said, this is an isolated place and it's very late. Send them away so they can go into surrounding countryside and villages and buy something for themselves to eat and find lodging. But Jesus answered them, they don't need to go. You give them something to eat. <laughs> it's just so great. And he said to Philip, where can we buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, Jesus said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, 200 silver coins worth of bread at six-month wages or seven-month wages would not be enough for them, for each one and get a little. Should we go and buy bread for 200 silver coins and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said to his disciples, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Well, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, found out and said, here is a boy who has only five barley loaves and two fish. But what good are these for so many people? Unless we go and buy food for all of them. Nick, second one, please. Next one. A characteristic of your Christian faith is believing in what you don't see. And that is called faith. Now, there's a couple of things in this story and this part that I have always just taken for, you know, looked at. But I want you to put it in human terms, all right? First of all, Jesus says, um, no, don't send these thousands of people away. If you're worried about feeding them, you feed them. And then they say, then he goes and looks and says, by the way, um, you're going to be able to take care of this? Can you feed him? And the first answer we get is, is from Philip, who says, listen, you even need seven months' wages just to give him a little bit. Philip looked at the finances and said, Jesus, it's not enough. And then when he says, well, what food do you have? Go and see. And when Andrew comes back, first of all, I'm amazed that he finds a family that's willing to give up their food, first of all. Yeah, I don't see Andrew kind of like, you know, dragging this little boy, and the boy's going, no, 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 not my food, no, no, no. I don't see that. Is see Andrew saying, God, I've got this basket of, of five loaves and two fish, must have been a little small family that had brought some food. <laughs> now, when you hear five loaves, don't think Italian loaves. Because there's some Italian loaves that are going to feed 50 people right off the bat. That's not an issue, right? You've had it. Ooh, Bobby eats a whole bunch of that bread, doesn't he? It's long. No, we're talking about little cakes of bread. That's all there is. So the fact that this family 
was, first of all, was willing to have this boy go up. And I'm sure Andrew didn't say, um, listen, we need to feed 5,000 men plus the women. We need to feed about 15,000 people. Can we have your food? I'm sure the family looked at Andrew like he had 17 eyes, you know. So what are you going to do with this? But Andrew says, here, this is all I can find, which amazes me. In over 5,000 men or people, 15,000 people, all they could find or all that was willing to give up. I mean, that puts a whole different perspective. You're talking about one unselfish person. Because what if that mama said, don't give up that food? And what if Andrew came back and said, Jesus, I got nothing? There was one unselfish person and one unselfish act and something that made absolutely no sense that kicked off a miracle that each writer would put on. And then you have the coup de grace. You have all the disciples that are going out and they're saying, listen, instead of us feeding them, just let them go. Just let them go, take care. But that's not even a wrong answer. That's a natural answer. Go take care of it. Let them go. Let them go. That seems like a great idea. That would have been something at a board meeting we would have all agreed. Let them go. Let them go get something. They can come back. So Jesus was working in a naturalistic state to show his supernatural power coming out again. My friends, we are natural beings, but we are enveloped with a supernatural Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean we're supernatural beings. We're not going to go fly. Fire's not coming out of our mouth. But what it means is because the Spirit of God is working inside of us, that means we have the potential to allow God to do amazing things in our life if we let him. But if we keep saying, it's not enough. I don't have it. I can't do it. If we keep doubting and we keep doubting, then we walk in doubt, there's going to be absolutely no power. More doubt, no power. That's the way the scriptures read. There is absolutely no positive reinforcement that Jesus says, stay in doubt. Stay in unbelief. Stay in low faith. He doesn't encourage us to be there for 10 days. He always encourages us to live by faith. If I want the scripture tell us, not to walk by sight, And how do you walk by faith? I I like to say I've got a a three-page manual. Let me tell you how to walk by faith. You just do it. That's all there is to it. You just do it. And you take the step, and you hope the ceiling doesn't fall on you. And then you take a step, and you realize, oh, the ceiling didn't fall on me. And then you take another step, and you say, oh, the ceiling's not coming down. Until then, now you're running. But if you keep going and you say, okay, I'm going to take a step. Oh, You know, it would take me two hours just to get to the back wall. Because doubt is ruling, not faith. There's a great scripture. 
that Jesus allowed us to have. And it's so amazing. James 4, 7 says, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So, so understand, how can we know a supernatural response is coming? Well, first of all, the first action is to obey. Now, the disciples could have said to Jesus, you know what? Jesus, if I go out and ask for food, I'm going to look really dumb. I mean, you know, and, and can you imagine? I, I hope not, but I hope, I hope none of the disciples walked up to the people and said, listen, the master hasn't a lot of sleep. Um, he really think, you got anything you could spare for 10,000 people? It doesn't say that. It says that they obeyed. They went. When he said, go and see, they went. They went and did this crazy thing. And then the next thing that we see that happened is that there was a conclusion. All right, we did all we could, and all I got is five loaves and two fishes. And then the final action was to surrender it back to God. Bring it to me. I got a minute. I got to tell you, I gotta tell you, you, you and, and don't get nervous, okay, because we're going to say that little T word again. So don't look at your phones yet. This is the power of tithing. The power of tithing is not so the church can get richer. Now, there are some, I got to be nice because I'm in church. Imbeciles. That's being kind. That take that and abuse it. All right? And, and trust me, they may be flying all around now and doing everything, but once God gets a hold of them, <laughs> the only thing I can say is I want to have some popcorn and a drink and kind of watch what happens there because they're going to get theirs. But tithing is not to get the church richer. Tithing is the exercise that gives. If you can give the first tenth of what God gives to you, and please remember, let's go back, everything you get is from God. But I work hard, that's right, and guess what? Where'd you get the strength to be able to do what you need to do? Where'd you get the brains? I worked hard. Or where's able the capacity to understand it? Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. So what he's saying is, here's the exercise, Ronnie. Whatever you get, I want you to joyfully give me the first fruits of it. And there's that key word, joyfully. Now, don't think I don't watch you when you tithe. Or when you give your envelopes. One of these days, I'd love for somebody to give their envelope and say, Hallelujah! That's not going to happen. Some of you, you know, you like, oh, 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 why did I do We've got different degrees of it, but listen to me. The idea of tithing is not to get your church or your pastor or your people rich. It has nothing to do with that. And please, don't, don't let the imbeciles Rule your mind on that. Let God rule your mind. God said, if you can show faith and do that, I will do something supernatural in your midst. How many of you have ever had a testimony of God's power for any reason in your life? Okay. All right, the house. So there's no doubt that God blesses. So God was going to do something through Jesus in this episode. So when we go to say tithe, 
All we're saying is just give back. God is his exercise is give back a tenth of what I've given to you and watch what I will do in your midst. Is it going to make you super rich? I don't know. I'm not worried about making you super rich. I'm worried about him filling up your mind and your heart. Because I don't care whether you have a million dollars or one dollar. doesn't matter. When he fills up your mind and your heart and when you're centered on him, you will say praise God anyway. That's what is true. You've got to hold on to that. So these guys were in the midst of a supernatural calling. So if your faith is you're working more and I won't touch it until I see it, you join great company. Because Thomas said the same thing. And what title does Thomas carry throughout his life? Doubtful Thomas. How would you like that moniker? As you like to mean, instead of me being Pastor Ronnie, you'd come to church and say, oh, I'd like you to come to our church. I want you to meet Doubtful Ronnie. He preaches and he doesn't believe anything he preaches. Oh, I'd love to see him. I mean, come on. Don't carry that. Carry faith to saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I don't care what anybody says. Let them say it. I'm going to trust what you say. Come on, we're going to wrap this up. Just bear with me. We're just about done. Look at that last... Um, Last one on, on, the front, on the paper. And then he directed them all to sit down in groups of green, in the green grass. Now, there was a lot of grass in that place. So they did as Jesus directed, and he sat down in hundreds and fifties. He took five loaves and two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to his disciples to serve the people, and he divided the two fish among all who were seated. As much as they wanted. Now, when they were all satisfied, Jesus said to his disciples, Gather up the broken pieces and fish that were left over so that nothing's wasted. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with broken pieces from the five barley, oh, I just got something, five barley loaves and fish that were left over by the people who had eaten. Not counting women and children, there were about 5,000, which you can roughly say 15,000. Nick, last slide there, please, third slide. A characteristic of Christian life and acknowledging the unlimited power of God, and that's gratitude. Where does gratitude last in your life? Is gratitude on the days when you get something, or is gratitude 365? Well, 366 this year. You know what? Genesis 22, you don't have to turn there, but it said, and Abraham called the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. All right. Again, analyze something. I, I have seen groups. Again, Kev, you can relate, relate to this instantly. When you see mounds of people, so it could be overwhelming. But Jesus said, listen, take this. He, he knew they, they were human. He knew who they were. He said, guys, divide these guys up. We're going to do this. Let's do it right. And he organized them. And, and again, I can only imagine the disciples saying, all right, the master wants you to go in a group of 50. Why? Well, I don't know. We're going to feed you. With what? Well, you know, just, just get in a group. Just leave me alone. Just get in a group. And he put them all in groups. And he took what was given, what, what the only unselfish act that was among those people. And he took it, and the Savior blessed it. And he gave thanks for the little bit he had. Do I say it again? He gave thanks for the little bit he had. I'm going to say it one more time. He gave thanks for the little bit that he had. So where are we on that scale? 
wishing for more. Nothing wrong in wanting more as long as it doesn't overcome who you are. And all of a sudden you start getting mad and angry. He's thankful for the little bit that he had. It's a mind. Change the heart and the mind. And they started to pass them out. Now, again, you've got to get the disciples' human nature on this. They had these baskets. They had 12 baskets. Okay, that's cool. And Jesus broke these, put these little cakes. So in this basket, there's a little, I don't know, divide up by 12 disciples, right? Little cake. And, and the fish, he had to cut just maybe Jamie. had to be that big, man, two fish, right? They weren't sharks. They had to be small fish. I wish they had iPhones back then. Because I would love to go to YouTube and type in the feeding of the 5,000. And see these guys when they hand something out. Oh. Oh. And they go back to their groups. And the guy says, can I have some more? Uh, sure, Yeah. And the Bible says they ate until they were satisfied. They ate until they loosened their belts. They were filled. Can you picture the disciples on this? It just kept coming. And then the scripture says that when everybody had been done, they said, We're leaving. And they left the extra food there. And Jesus said, now this was a Jewish custom. But here's where the reality is. Pick up the broken pieces and put it in a basket. And from that little bit, it says that there were 12 baskets filled with food. 12 baskets full of food. When man does something, it has a limit. But when God works in your life, he goes up and above. Always. But we're dumb enough to say, I'll take care of it myself. So stay here, enjoy it. Because one day, and that's a promise, that limit, which is right here today, it's going to come here. And then it's going to maybe be here. Because we were not designed to be limitless. We were designed to follow him. And you know what I get amazed by? Twelve baskets full of broken pieces. And you know what people say? The twelve baskets? And I believe this. The commentators say the twelve baskets represent every one of the disciples. And that makes sense. But I'm going to go a step farther. You know what the baskets' contents represent? the disciples there were 12 baskets full of broken pieces God uses broken men and women every day to get his point across to let his power show you may be the strongest Christian in the house or you may be broken spit up and thrown out and if you let God use you it doesn't matter where you are at this moment he will allow you to move mountains through his power. 
You see, that's what the idea of gratitude says. God, whatever you've given me, I'm thankful. I'm going to give back to you. So, so, Nick, go back two slides. I want to make sure, and then we'll make sure. Nick, compassion. Give me the next one. Faith. One more, buddy. And gratitude. If you want to be barren and unfruitful in your Christian life, which means church will be boring to you, then don't let compassion and don't let faith and don't let gratitude be part of your life. But if you allow God to do those things, to trust in God, to give to the church, to give to people, to devote yourself to ministries of the church, to tell the world that Jesus is alive. Nick gave you a great example about our video series, Just a Minute. Share that with people. He said, I'm not going to get rich off it. It's not to get me anything else. It's to share the gospel in one minute. Easiest way. You love somebody? Even if it really matters, hit share. Hit share button every Monday. Bring them to church. Bring them to the youth group. Bring them to children's ministries. God's going to do something wonderful if you allow him. I close with this story. And, Ro, come on up, please. In each one of our cars is a battery. The battery is indwelt in the car, and you have an indwelling of the battery. It's there. It's charged. And it is all the power you need to get where you're going to be where you want to go. You don't have to have a battery problem or a power problem if you have a working car. But the fact of a battery does not equal getting where you want to go. In order for that battery to work, the ignition must be engaged and you must do that. This is not something you can wish or hope for. You can't sit in your car after service. Now, some cars are able to do this, but not the regular ones <laughs> that we can at least afford. Say, I wish to be home. <laughs> some of them do, but not the, regular, not the majority yet. And expected a battery engaged. It's not a power problem. It's not a presence problem. You have power you need under that hood. You have the presence of the battery, which means you're going to get home. But if you don't turn the key, you're not going anywhere. Listen to me. The, 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 the idea of that story is this. We have all the power available to us through Jesus Christ. But if you don't turn the ignition of compassion, if you don't turn the key of faith, if you don't turn the key of gratitude, you're going to be stuck and neutral. You're going to press on that gas and you're going nowhere. I'm not going out and telling you to change the world. I'm telling you to go and just change your attitude to what God wants. Watch what he'll do if you can put that consideration. And that's why we say God loved this world so much. He gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you're not going to perish, but you're going to have everlasting life. And I know so many of you have committed your life to Jesus, but I don't know if all of you have. 